Does anybody here play chess? Couple. Okay. Is anybody good at playing chess? <laughs> we play, but uh, when you ask how good, it kind of depends on sometimes who you're playing too, doesn't it? How good are you? My wife and I, I, I played chess for a while, but I don't really take it seriously. Never have. Never been a part of a chess club or anything like that. And Laura Lane wanted to learn. She's played before in the past, but we got this game called Let's Play Chess. Is it? Let's, let, no. Let's play? What, what's it called? No stress chess. No stress chess. No stress chess, because learning it can be hard, right? It's called no stress chess because it, it, you start off by playing with these cards that are dealt to you, and the cards tell you what to do. And so you have a choice between, like, three cards, and you get to choose one of these things. And, you know, so you really don't have a choice at the beginning. You just kind of play what the cards say to play. And eventually you graduate to the point where you play without the cards, and that's where she's at now. And she's not that good. But neither am I. But when I play her sometimes, I feel like I'm really good. <laughs> but it's just a feeling. I mean, I'm not that good because I, 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 I beat her quickly. But then the next game, like last night, the first game, I win, and I'm feeling good. The second game, I make a horrible mistake, and I lose my queen. And at that point, my, my spirit's kind of sunk, and the game was over. She beat me. So it's, you know, it's, it depends on who you're playing, whether or not you're good, right? I mean, sometimes I think I'm good, and then I play somebody else who is much better, and then I realize, oh, I am not that good at chess. I just think I am. And then I'm playing Laurel Land, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing so good. And then turn around the next game, she whips me. And I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? I was really good the last game. Why did I mess this game up? You know, so, what's that? Yeah, I didn't protect my queen. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> last night, I did not protect my queen. I was hoping she didn't see the move. I was hoping I could sneak it by her, but I couldn't sneak it by her. And she took my queen. But... Uh, I, I, I tell that story just to kind of, kind of touch base with with Saul here, and I, I'm, if I make a mistake in calling Paul before he's Paul in the story, just bear with me because sometimes I, I, I go back and forth because he's Saul now, right? And then he's going to be Paul pretty pretty close to after this. But Saul Paul here, he's he thinks he's playing a game of chess and he thinks he's got his pieces in order. And he thinks he's doing what God is asking him to do. He, he genuine, genuinely thinks he's doing what God, well, he thinks he's doing what God is wanting him to do. He says later on in his trials that I'm doing this with a clear, I was doing that with a clear conscience. I thought this is what God wanted me to do. I honestly thought this is where he wanted me. And he pursues it like this is where God wants him. And he thinks he has all of his chess pieces in order and he's, and he's moving his pieces and he's moving them the way God wants him to move them. But pretty soon, what happens? His queen gets taken from him, from him, like me last night. And all of a sudden, the game is, is flipped on its back. And you're wondering, how did, I, how did I end up in this position? Now I'm defending everything. And, and I'm, I was attacking. I had this in control. But now I'm on the defensive here. And, and I'm trying to struggle just to protect my king. And I'm about to lose the game. 
that's where Paul is here in these first eight verses that, that were read for us. He's got this, these, these murdering threats. This, this, he's breathing this stuff against all the people of, of Christ here. He's got the letters that he needs to have. He's got his pieces in order. But he goes to Damascus and he didn't protect his queen. Gets taken away from him. He gets knocked off his horse. And there's a horse in, in chess too. He gets knocked off his horse, right? And he gets confronted by the king himself, Jesus Christ. And he says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, he says, who art thou, Lord? Who are you? This Saul, he is the best of the best and he's the worst of the worst. He's the best of the best at this point in, in Jewish religion. He's the best of the best in the Pharisees. He's the best of the best that he could possibly be. Studies under Gamaliel. He, he knows anything you need to know to be this guy. And he, and he lists his characteristics and his, and his qualifications in other books. He says, you know, without sin, I mean, I am, I am I'm zealous for the law. I'm, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. From the tribe of Benjamin, all of these things that, that would, that would you, you got all this, this piled high and deep, just like the PhDs of today. He's got all the things he needs behind his name to say, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm important here. I've got my pieces in order. Top education, all of this stuff. And he's breathing murderous threats against the Christians. Now, I wanted to ask you a question here before we get too far along. Who here would ask this guy to study with them? Anybody here say, yeah, he sounds like a challenge. I think I should, I'd like to ask him to a Starbucks here. Let's go to Starbucks and talk about Jesus. Anybody want to take up Paul? Saul, thank you. <laughs> Anybody want to take up Saul here at this point in the story? His reputation precedes him, yes. People know who he is. People know what he's doing. He doesn't just hold the coat at Stephen's death. When he, when he talks about it in chapter 26, he says he gave approval over them. I wonder how many, how many approvals did he give? One is enough, right? How many others did he get? How many Christians did he throw into prison? When you're sitting next to him in Sunday morning service later on, and he's now Paul, and he's thrown your family into prison. Would you study with him then? Would you talk with him then? I'd have a hard time saying I'd be the one to say, yeah, I think Saul is the perfect guy. that I'm going to go ask him to study. You definitely need Jesus, Saul. But I'm not the one that's going to be giving you Jesus because you're going to take me to jail. You're going to cut me. You're going to have me killed. I'm afraid I would not want to study with Saul. And I'm not sure that maybe any of you would want to study with Saul. Which is why there's only one person really who could convert Saul. Jesus Christ himself. I don't think any human being could have converted Saul at all. He was convinced he was right. He had all the qualifications. He had his pieces on the board. He was ready to to take your king and put you in check, mate. The only one that could, could change that is the king himself, Jesus Christ. And so the king himself comes down and he takes Paul off his horse there. Which is interesting, I think, in verse 3, as you see Paul, excuse me, Saul, <laughs> journeying towards Damascus, who makes 
a move here. He's making moves, but who makes the big move here? Jesus makes the big move. God makes the big move. And, and, and as, as I'm thinking about you know, the chess games that we've been playing, there, there is sometimes you get your pieces out there, and like I've told Loreline before, there, there is this tension that needs to be broken because you've got your pieces sitting on the board, and nobody's taken anything yet. Right, but you're just you're 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 protecting and, and you're getting ready to strike, but nobody has struck yet. And as soon as somebody starts to take pieces, that's when it starts to get really nasty and things start falling apart. But it's that tension that 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 moment right before everything starts to just hit and butt heads is is right here on the journey to Damascus. All the pieces are in order, and who makes that that big opening move? Jesus Christ. But that's no, no different than any other move God has made. When I'm thinking about the moves that God makes, God always makes the first move. Jesus always makes the first move. He's the one that came for us. God's the one that planned for us from the beginning. He's always made the first move. He makes the first move here with Saul to get him off his horse and to say, what are you doing to bring him to the right side of the board? He gives first. He gives best. It's just like in John 4. When it talks about God gives first. Why do we love? Not because we're so good. Not because we're so, so enamored with each other. But because God loved us first. In Romans 5. It talks about he, he sent us. He sent Jesus Christ while we were yet what? Sinners. He's, he's making moves before we make any move. Jesus is making a move here. Knocks him off his horse. And in verse 8. When Saul gets knocked to the ground, or gets back up from the ground, excuse me, and his eyes were open, yet he could see nothing. He sees absolutely nothing. And now Saul can't make a move by himself. He's got all his pieces on the board, or so he thought, but now he can't even make his own moves by himself. They've got to lead him by the hand and bring him to Damascus. And what struck me about that is, I mean, last week we covered one verse, or I brought up one verse. I think it was Carl who said, who, who said something about it, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where we walk by faith and not by sight. This Paul who writes that later on is this Saul who is now walking blinded, being led by the hand. And he can't see physically. Well, what's, how is he beginning to see at this point? Spiritually, yes. Now, now, his spiritual eyes are beginning to open while his physical eyes are closed. The same guy who writes, we walk by faith, not by sight. And who knows that better than the guy who is walking without sight right now. And his spiritual eyes are beginning to be open to this, this world that he thought, I'm going to tear this world apart. Paul has no strategy for this, does he? Verse 9, go, go to verse 9 in your chapter there of Acts 9. And let's read just a little more ahead. Because his, his whole strategy for this, this, this chess game is, is gone now. It says, And he's three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Notice again who is making moves here. 
Jesus is making moves here. God is making moves here. The Spirit is making moves here. Paul is not able, able to make moves, Saul. Again, Saul, at this point, is not able to make any moves yet. He's, he's being led by the hand. And Jesus and God are now putting the pieces into place and moving the pieces. And Ananias is the next piece that, that Jesus says, this is the piece I need to move from here to here in order to accomplish the mission that I have. He tells Saul, this is the move you get to make. You need to go and wait. And then he tells Ananias, this is the move you need to make. You need to go and see him. So Jesus, God, and the Spirit are all working together here to move the pieces on the board, to get the pieces in place. He moves that piece. And in verse 11, Ananias says, I'm ready to be used. Verse 10, really, he says, I'm ready to be used. But in verse 13, notice what Ananias says. I'm ready to be used in verse 10, but, verse 13, after I've heard what you want to use me for, might we discuss this a bit further? Could I, could I inquire as to why you choose me? Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. So the peace that God, that Jesus wants to move right now is saying to him, I'm not so sure that that move is a smart move. It's just like me when I'm sitting there playing and I'm thinking, trying to think, you know, if I move that piece, what is she going to move? And then what, how do I counter that? You know, what's the smart move here? And Ananias is saying, this is not a smart move. Why, why him? Why this guy? This guy's tearing up your saints. And what is the Lord saying in verse 15? Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You, you notice that he doesn't say, don't worry, Ananias. I, he's not going to touch you. Don't worry. He just says, go. This guy's a chosen instrument of mine. And if you're a chosen instrument of mine, then you're going to go and minister to the chosen instrument of mine so that he can minister to others. Just go and do what I'm asking you to do. Why would you want to save that? I think Ananias is probably thinking, why would you want to save this guy? Why would you want to do that? But in reality, who else can that be said of? Anybody? Who, do you, who, who else would you say this of? Why would you want to go and save that guy? Me. Why would you want to go and save that guy? Now, how many of us have sanctioned a murder? How many of us have thrown people into prison for just believing that this guy's the Messiah? How many of us are as bad as Paul or Saul, excuse me, at this point, Saul? Anybody as bad as Saul? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When it comes right down to it, we are all in this Saul position at some point in our lives. And, and the person that is coming to us, the Ananias that God is saying, hey, go, go talk to this person, could say the same thing about me. Why that guy? Why does he deserve it? I don't want to go talk to him. I'm just as, as in much, as much need of, of Jesus Christ as Saul is right now. I just don't look as dirty or as guilty maybe from a human standpoint. 
But deep down in my, in my soul, I am just as dirty and just as guilty because sin kills, period. No matter what the sin is. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're moving Saul into this Paul, into this position on the board that he wants him in. So that Saul can become Paul and minister to all of these people here. But the question is, will Paul, ah, man, Saul, <laughs> let himself be used? So God tells Ananias, go do this. Ananias says, let's talk about it. The Lord says, okay, let me tell you about it. Go do it. And then verse 17, he says, Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. So, I want to go over to 22 really quick. If you're in your Bibles, go over to 22 where Saul now... That's what Paul, Paul now. You know that guy. Yes, chapter 22, where he recounts this same story. And he's in the very beginning, he's, he's doing exactly what we already talked about. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm the, I was this Jew born, in verse 3, born in Tarsus of Sicilia. Brought up in the city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are all today. And I persecuted the way, this way, to what? To the death. Binding and putting men, both men and women, into prisons. The high council, the priests, the high council, the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And it came about that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. That would be weird too, wouldn't it? If you were standing there, you see the light. And it says they don't understand it. They don't comprehend the voice. Something sounds like you, you know something's happening, but you don't understand what's going on. And I said... What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, here's that move. Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all of that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me, standing near, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all the men of whom, of what you have seen and heard. And like we said before, how else are you going to convert a man like this? You're not going to do it with a, probably even a Peter. He'd probably take Peter to jail. You're not going to do it with a Stephen. You're going to do it with a Jesus Christ. And what does he tell him in verse 16? And now why do you delay? 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Just a little bit more about what happens there in Acts 9. He tells him, this is what you're appointed to do. This is the, these are the moves that God has said, I want this man to do these things in my chess game here that I am, that I am playing out in real time. I'm the king. I'm going to knock you off your horse. I'm going to show you who's boss. And then I'm going to tell you what moves you need to make. Because you, you can't make the right moves. You don't know the right moves. You think you got the right moves. But then you lose your queen and you're all scattered. Why? Because you're not playing on the right side to begin with. You're playing against God at this point. You need to get on God's team. And, and when I was thinking about that, this, this is Jesus. This is Jesus directing the steps of Saul into a man named Paul who had such an impact for the kingdom of God. But it's just like you and me. It's the same thing for you and I. Now, we may not have the same impact as Paul on the kingdom of God, but you have an impact in the, on the kingdom, in the kingdom, in some way, shape, or form. We talked this morning about how people having a negative example of Jesus and just not telling people who we are and not acting Christ-like has that negative approach, but the opposite has the right approach, right? Letting yourself be used by God, by the Spirit, to make the moves that He wants you to move, to make the moves on the board. It's, it's just like, well, it's, it's similar to this thought here, and I want you to... Let me, Try to end, wrap it up with this thought here in Second Peter. Go over to Second Peter. I know we're jumping from Saul, Paul to Peter, but but the thoughts are similar here in how God, how Jesus directs our steps, following Him, getting to know Him, following Him, and being like Him. He's asked us to let Him choose our moves. We've talked about you know we can't do it ourselves. We can't direct our steps. It's not within man to direct His steps. God is going to do that. He's going to tell us where we need to move on the board of life. And this is a similar thought here in 2 Peter chapter 1 where you know, it's, it's, a great, it's a great chapter. You could spend all, a whole bunch of time in, in the chapter itself. And I, I want to focus on one word in this chapter. But to get to that one word, we need to sort of read... Um, I think I'll just read to verse 11, just the first 11 verses. No, no, no. I want to read the first 12. No, I'm at verse 13. I'm going to stop when I stop. Okay. Let's go. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our, of Jesus our Lord. And see, here's, here's where he starts to get into where, our, where the playbook comes from. When we sit down at, at this, this chessboard and we think, I've got the moves, now the moves are here. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. 
And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right just as long as I am with or as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. As Peter is laying these things out, the resources that we have, the responsibility we have as Christians, where we get all these things from. In verse 5, does somebody have the King James Version? I think it's in the King James Version. Who has the King James? Does it have add in that? Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Okay. Add to your faith. Yeah. My, my version doesn't have the add in there, although it's, it's, it's in the Greek. It's in the Greek there. But that, that word there is, is where I want to kind of land and end on because it describes, again, a similar idea of this, this chessboard that, that Saul is playing on and God is making a move on in directing steps and the way God directs us. The word there for add is epicorogio. 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 Something like that. Because I, I can never pronounce Greek words right. But it's, it's something epicorigio, epicorigio, and, it, and it's talking about this the, the drama. It, it really goes back to Greek dramas, and that there's three big parts in Greek dramas. That there's there's the poet or the storyteller who writes the story. Then there's the state part that actually provides the service, the place to to put on the play, and then there's the corigio which is part of that word, epicorigio. The corigio is this, this wealthy person who funds the play. So Peter is, is saying in here, you get to be epicorigio, add these things. And it's, and it's not a, it's not a, it's not a uh, suggestion, it's an actual command. This is a command, add these things. So be the epicorigio. But when you look at the, the thought of this, this, the word behind there and how Peter uses it, You've got this, this storyteller, this one who writes the story. Who wrote the story for everything? God wrote the story for everything, didn't he? He wrote the story from the beginning. He's written the story past what we can see. He's the story writer in this epicore, in this corrigio. He's the story writer. And where is this all playing out in this state-provided theater? Yeah, right here. God has provided a place to play out his story that he has written from time past to the end of time. And the ultimate corrigio, the one, the wealthy investor who pays for everything, who would that be? 
Jesus. I, I see him as the, the ultimate corrigio. He's the one that paid for everything. In God's story, Jesus comes to earth and dies. He comes to the place that God provided to play out this play, and he dies. He pays the ultimate price for everybody else who couldn't pay. That's the corrigio. But then Peter says, now you also are this epicorrigio. So now you and I, as children of this one who paid the ultimate price and are blessed with spiritual blessings beyond belief, Ephesians 1.3, are now asked to participate in this play that God has written and to play on his side of the board so that he can move us to where he needs us. This is what, what Peter is saying. This is why he says you add these things and this, this is your corrigio. This is your, the things that you're adding, the richness of your faith, the richness of, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, all the things that he died for. This is you being this corrigio and adding these things. Just like Paul said, I, he's got to choose here. Whose side is he going to play on? God's going to knock you off your horse. Jesus is going to knock you off your horse and, and say, you're on the wrong side of things. But it's still my choice or your choice to say, Okay, I could go the opposite direction. He'll let me go the opposite direction, won't he? He'll let me not follow him. If I don't want to follow him, I don't have to follow him. But God says, I have written this play and you're in it. I love you so much, I've written it for you. I've given you a place to play out this this play, this epic play with me. This epic story with me. Be a part of my story, God says. I've even got the person that will pay the ultimate price for the story because I know you can't pay for it. Jesus Christ, who pays for that story completely. Who knocks people off their horses. Who wakes them up with, with bright shining lights and says, why are you persecuting me? That's that Corrigio who's paid the ultimate price. And then he's saying to you, I want you to be an Epocorrigio. I want you to join this play with me and invest yourself into God's story and your story for all of time. When we look at Jesus and we, and we ask, you know, like in class, how do we follow him? He's asking us to play in his play. He's asking us to play in this, in this, this world that he's created, this story that he's created with this Corrigio Jesus Christ who's paid all, all that we could ever pay, all that we ever couldn't pay, the ultimate price, and is now asking you and I to invest ourselves into him and to add to our faith to epicorrigio to our faith, all of these things, the blessings, the riches, all the things that we've been blessed with. And the return is knowing Jesus Christ and an eternity with him. Think about that this week. I want you to think about your position in this play. God has written it. He's written you in it. He's provided a place to play it out. And he's even provided the corrigio to pay for it all. Are you investing yourself into Him? Are you turning around and investing your life into Him and playing with Him on His side of the board and allowing Him to move you where He wants to move you? Think about that this week as you go about your business and you reflect Jesus Christ in everything you do and say to those people around you. Show them what an epicorrigio looks like that's had the corrigio, the ultimate corrigio, pay for everything that we couldn't pay for. And is living in God's world. Show them that this week as we stand and as we sing.